21st edition of Drilling Deep for 2022. I'm your host, John Kingston. Just like in 2021 and 2020 and 2019, we derive the name of our podcast from the fact that we talk about oil, which you need to drill to get at, and we drill deep into an issue of the day. Today, as our guest, we have Dan Johnston. He's co-founder and CEO of Workstep. Workstep is a technology-focused company that is using tech to help companies recruit and retrain all sorts of workers, including those in the trucking and warehouse sector. He's going to be joining us in a few minutes. We open our discussion of oil this year with a rising market, despite data that for months suggested that this was not going to happen. All the forecasts in the last months of 2021 said supply globally is going to outstrip demand in the first and second quarter of this year. The Energy Information Administration, which is an arm of the U.S. Department of Energy, said supply would outstrip demand on average for the full year of 2022. Sounds like a formula for the price to go down, right, or at least moderate. And in late November to early December, fueled in part by an expectation of the Omicron variant hitting demand, the fact is the price of oil and the price of diesel were both going down. The benchmark Department of Energy diesel price closed out the year by dropping for seven consecutive weeks. But here we are, the kickoff 2022, and we're in the midst of a significant price surge. As I record this, here are the numbers, the numbers that matter the most to truckers. On December 1st, the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange closed at about 207 per gallon. On Thursday of this week, the first week of the new year, it was up almost 40 cents since that December 1st number. And diesel prices aren't even keeping up with the increases in crude. The spread between diesel and the benchmark grades of crude, Brent and WTI, they widened during the month. It suggests that diesel relative to crude could have the ability to go higher. There really isn't anything obvious driving this. The same models that show a supply-demand balance favoring consumers haven't been changed. The big models that everybody watches, like the International Energy Agency, they'll come out for this month and the next week or two, and any changes are usually fairly minor. There are some factors in the market that are helping to drive prices higher. Libya's output has always been volatile in the more than 10 years since the Libyan Revolution and later Civil War began, but it is particularly not low now owing to the latest round of civic unrest. There's also concern about Kazakhstan, which is a key oil producer that has seen unprecedented street protests with the price of LPG as the key catalyst. LPG, which includes butanes and propane, is the primary fuel for cars in Kazakhstan. But what seems to be happening is that the market doesn't believe these forecasts on the supply and demand front. They see that the Omicron variant is not destroying economic activity, which had been feared. They see that demand is continuing to rise at a steady clip. And where you can really see this sentiment is not just in the outright price of oil. It's also in the shape of the forward curve, the relationship between the, the next month price and 12 months out. When markets face tightening inventories, the front month price relative to the rest of the curve rises. It's known as backwardation. The steeper the backwardation, the greater the signal that inventories are tightening. On the last trading day of 2021, that spread for ultra-low sulfur diesel was just under $0.09. Cents. That means the front month was about $0.09 cents more than the price 12 months out. On Thursday, that spread had blown out to almost $0.15. Cents. That may not seem like much, but that much movement in the spread in just a few days, that is large. It signals that inventories are tightening, and it is something that all consumers of diesel should be concerned about. Don't just look at the front month price. Look at that spread. If it's widening, it's something you might want to worry about. There are some forecasts out there of oil hitting $100 this year. The benchmark Brent price already has cracked $80. A $100 forecast isn't looking all that crazy. 
We're going to kick off 2022 with more discussion of the biggest issue facing trucking today, and that's putting people behind the wheel. Dan Johnson is CEO of Workstep. It's a company that uses software to help industrial companies, including those in the supply chain, like trucking companies, to hire and retain their workers. Dan, this is a crowded field of people who are serving trucking companies and trying to help them in their recruitment of, of new drivers, or their retention of new drivers. What do you do that's different? Yeah, great question, John. And uh, and thanks for having me, first and foremost. Um, what Workstep does that is different than other providers in the space is we focus on helping the cus- companies that we partner with uh, find and keep their frontline workers for the long term. And so it's that retention focus and long-term optimization that sets Workstep apart as a software provider for these supply chain companies. All right. So uh, what, what percentage, let's say, I, I won't give you, ask you a firm percentage, but you, how much of the work that you do is done, let's say, in trucking or the supply chain? Uh, we work with large companies who make and move physical products. So companies in food and beverage, companies in third-party logistics, companies in manufacturing and consumer packaged goods. Uh, of all of the uh, roles uh, that we fill and help our customers retain and on an annual basis, approximately 10% of those are in trucking, but that's still a very meaningful part of our overall business. It's just that even more of those roles that we help with are in warehousing and manufacturing. Right. And then they're all connected these days. Yes. So, you know, when, when your colleague reached out to me about doing this podcast, she, uh, she said, or I guess she quoted you as saying something fairly provocative, not one initiative or trend uh, ignited a positive uptake in 2021 in terms of the driver shortage. That is pretty sweeping, especially in a year where I know at Freightways, we were writing about uh, pay increases on a regular basis and sometimes other things that companies were doing to retain. And yet you think they were... I won't say, I, I hesitate to say all for naught, but clearly you weren't impressed. Well, if you look at 2021, it's true that there was a, at least according to the BLS, a 3% lift in overall transportation employment. Now that said, where that really got us back to is the employment levels at which we started 2020. And in the meantime, we've seen a decade of e-commerce acceleration and overall consumer spending that's up over 8% this year. So while the supply of drivers has lifted marginally in the last year, uh, what we've seen is that the demand for drivers has grown even more quickly, as we all know. And it's this this supply and demand imbalance that is making uh, this labor market increasingly challenging for carriers and logistics companies nationwide as we head into 2022. So even if they're, if overall you weren't that impressed, are there any particular companies, you don't have to name them, I'm, I'm presumably that's confidential, you don't want to identify them by name, but are there any companies that you can talk about their efforts and you think, boy, you know, that company really gets it. They, they've got a good retention program and, uh, and then you know, you, you've worked with them to come up with it. What, what, what are some of the, the things that do win out there? Yeah, you know, I think that it's 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 honestly it's not it's not rocket science, but the companies that do this well understand that to be successful in this competitive labor market, you need to retain the workforce you have. For every 
driver you lose, again, this is obvious, that's one more driver you need to recruit in the most challenging talent acquisition labor market ever for this style of work. And so the companies who prioritize the health, safety, satisfaction, and growth of their frontline teammates and drivers are the ones who have to compete less in this uh, competitive talent acquisition ecosystem. And now what does it take to retain drivers? It's jobs that fit into their life, flexibility, opportunities for growth, and that can be defined in a few ways, uh, leaders and teammates they enjoy, and fair compensation. So it's honestly, John, maybe not too different than what might keep you or I in my role, but applied specifically to this industry and with companies who put the satisfaction of the teammates they do have first. Can you give me an example of some things that you've seen companies do that you really like? Do you think um, particular steps beyond beyond increasing pay? Let's get to a specific policy or policies that you really feel uh, are maybe not standard operating procedure, but which you do think companies should adopt. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that uh, one policy uh, and procedure that is increasingly impactful is just having an explicit outline of the growth opportunities for each individual employee across compensation, across benefits, across schedule and hours, if there are ways to move towards more advantageous schedule and hours, routes, uh, management, as well as if there are sort of more skilled roles or higher certified roles that can be stepped into. The companies that are able to paint the most compelling growth picture are the ones that are able to retain their teammates in a market where every single company is competing for that same set of skills. So that's not a specific policy, but it is the theme that we see is most correlated to retaining these drivers and warehouse workers. And then secondly, I would say the companies who are really uh, delicate uh, and deliberate about job expectation alignment. So if it's a physical driving role or a role with a certain number of nights away from home or a certain amount of expected overtime or a certain amount of stops per route, ensuring that new recruits are receiving a realistic job preview that aligns directly to what they'll experience in their first weeks and months is key to not having that rotating door in the first 90 days that many companies are experiencing where a driver comes in, it's not exactly how they hoped or they've collected their incentive and then they're back out the door. That is sort of the, the biggest challenge for these companies in many cases. And so providing those career growth pathways and ensuring that the job aligns to what is being pitched directly is what is helping companies succeed in driving frontline workforce retention. I hear this so often, you know, people being unhappy at jobs because they go into a job and they were told one thing and then they find something completely different than that. And this just seems to me like something that's so easily fixable. I don't know that the people are dishonest. They're just maybe afraid to be straight with them. It sounds to me like you're finding that too. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's less about dishonesty and more about, organizational alignment on a common goal. And so what you see in many of these companies and carriers uh, and large logistics companies is fully segmented 
talent acquisition teams, sourcing teams, and HR and talent management teams. And what happens in that case is, you know, if your job is to bring in at least 10 new leads or deliver at least five new hires in a given period, on the margins, you might want to create a sunnier picture of the opportunity because you know that is what will lead you to be able to deliver your numbers to be able to make your boss happy and move forward in your career. What we're seeing is that you know if talent acquisition and talent recruiting are aligned to long-term outcomes and honestly just have the infrastructure to measure the outcomes of the workers they're bringing in, that alone can be enough to sort of bring that back so that everybody, again, can be driving towards the same goal, which is not a new hire in the door. The goal is a worker that is excited to stay with your organization or driving for your team for the quarters and ideally years or decades to come. So even if the trends weren't all that positive, the data does seem to show that companies sort of managed to pull their way through and get some more drivers in a difficult market. How did that happen? Uh, so while pay uh, is a less useful tool for talent retention, it obviously is a useful tool for talent attraction and for incentivizing workers to either move into an industry and gain a certification for the first time, move back into an industry uh, and so, you know, we've seen this wage expansion across all sectors of the supply chain and hourly work in general. I think we would expect to see another 10 to 15 percent in wage movement. Um, and then I think companies are also rethinking how they make their roles uh, competitive against the broader set of alternatives, which is to say you're not just competing with other carriers today. Right. You're competing with Amazon. Uh, you're competing with Amazon warehouse work in some cases, almost in wage. Uh, and you're competing with other sectors of the economy. So how can we create opportunities for more structured schedules, uh, uh, better hours in the day, less nights away from home, potentially more flexibility in terms of how this worker is designing the role around their life? Because we live in a world of an abundance of jobs and less job seekers, right? I think uh, the most recent set I saw is there are 3 million more unfilled jobs in the United States today that don't require a college degree than job seekers without one. <clears throat> and so in an environment like that, companies need to be positioning their roles, whether in driving, manufacturing, or warehousing, to be competitive in the broader market as well and to fit into these workers' lives outside of work. Otherwise, they'll find something that does. You know, you, you talk, we've talked here about trucking, but you also said you did a lot of work in the warehouse field. Do you find the retention efforts in the warehouse field are superior to those in trucking? It depends how you define superior. I think you see retention challenges in both environments uh, with slightly different causes. Uh, I think that one opportunity... I would say that warehouse operators have that typically fleet operators don't is that day to day face to face communication with that repetition that allows sort of teams 
and management and leadership relationships to build. And transportation, you have a sort of a different challenge, which is your core team that you rely on isn't necessarily with you every day or week, uh, and certainly without that sort of frequency of communication. So the challenges are different, but if you look at the annualized turnover data for production, warehousing, and transportation, all of those charts are headed up and to the right. So they're all experiencing the same challenge around an ability to retain and satisfy their frontline workforce. It's just how they're able to address and work on that challenge is slightly different. Um, you laid out a couple of things that you thought companies are going to start doing uh, in response to the truck driver squeeze uh, that they might not have done in the past. They might have to reach out to different demographics. And one of the things you said was the elimination of drug testing. Uh, that's a pretty radical step. First of all, I'm not totally sure I know the, the legality of such a step, but uh, it does seem to reek of real desperation there. Are, are you you confident that companies really will do that? Uh, drug testing uh, is an interesting one. I think uh, logistics and supply chain companies of all sizes have been struggling with the drug test as a filter for the last five years and probably beyond, but it's become more and more and more acute. Uh, for CDL drivers, uh, because of the clearinghouse and insurance requirements, I don't think that we'll see a complete elimination of the drug test and the pre-employment screen anytime soon. Now, for non-CDL drivers, uh, which are doing a large share of the last mile work in the United States today, we have seen this movement begin. I mean, uh, Amazon made this splash by advising their delivery partners to start not testing for cannabis in Q4 because they said screening for marijuana cuts your prospective pool by at least 30%. And so we want you to be able to have the drivers you need so that we can continue to meet our delivery windows and satisfy our consumers. And so when you look at non-CDL drivers, warehouse workers, and manufacturing workers, you're seeing many large companies move away from the drug testing hurdle or remove cannabis at a minimum from the drug testing hurdle, uh, as well as uh, reevaluate their background check hurdles as well. And that's helping the companies who are willing to reevaluate their traditional screening criteria open the purview of their funnel to more candidates. Now, over time, as we rotate back to thinking about the CDL space, I think you could see evolution, but it won't be something that happens overnight uh, because of those legal concerns and insurance concerns and risks. And so it will be a more slow moving spectrum versus in a, 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 a delivery van driver or a warehouse worker, you can sort of cut it overnight and then evaluate pre and post in terms of your the cost and benefit of that decision. Right. Where a, a driver behind an 18-wheeler with a, with a drug problem is a lot more dangerous than a warehouse worker with one. So you also talk about something that I expect to be inevitable, which is a push for foreign worker visas. Uh, most visas for foreign workers that I've known have either been sort of like uh, short-term or more unskilled work, like in the agricultural field, maybe a summer uh, surge of people working in amusement parks and uh, you know summer uh, summer uh, entertainment, uh, or a high-skilled job like a, 
a high skilled job like a, a, a computer programmer. Uh, do you expect that there's going to be a big push for farm workers in that would be behind the wheel? Uh, behind the wheel immediately? No, I wouldn't expect that. However, what I would say is the push by large companies for government to embrace foreign worker visas can help them solve their overall labor problem. And here's how, right? Foreign workers are more likely to be able to help large logistics companies fill talent in the lower end of their required skill stack, given licensing requirements in the higher end of that skill stack. And if these companies have growth and retraining programs that help their employees move from the lower skill work to mid skill work to high skill work, for instance, the ability to, for example, train a warehouse worker to become a delivery driver, then by bringing in more workers who can do the traditionally lower and mid skill work and graduating their workers today into more skilled roles, you can see how having more workers available generally can help a large company solve that high-skilled problem. Now, with all of that said, there are a million and a half open supply chain jobs in America today. I think the most recent announcement was that the president expanded the foreign worker visa program by 20,000. So that's a drop in a large bucket, right? And so what we need to be looking at as an industry is what are all of the ways that we can sort of work on and move forward uh, through this workforce labor shortage? And what is the sort of set of options that allow us to continue to keep our supply chains moving and honestly allow our workers to work reasonable shifts with a minimal amount of force over time and have time for the rest of their lives as well. Are you finding, last question, are you finding that your business in the last year or two, because the squeeze on employees has become so tight in so many fields, are they turning more to companies like you where they used to think they could do it on their own? In short, Yes. You know, I think that, you know, maybe one way to summarize the answer to that question is I think that, you know, in 2020, a lot changed. Uh, if there was one silver lining uh, to the pandemic, uh, it's that it forced these large companies to really think of and categorize their frontline workers as what they are, which is essential, and then prioritize their health, safety, and satisfaction. But in 2020, Really, what every company did for a short time was they did nothing. And then they got behind. And then in 2021, I think a lot of companies sort of did everything under the sun. Sign-on bonuses, new recruiting channels, spending money, training programs, you name it, they did it. As companies start to take a breath and say, okay, this is the new norm, right? Like we are not going to be flooded with applicants for our openings to fill our needs. We need to figure out what our bets are and investments are moving forward. And that's when companies are turning to software companies like Workstep, potentially hardware automation companies to help increase outputs per unit, um, and other companies that can help set them up for success in the decades to come. 
So yes, this shortage has been a tailwind for Workstep, but I would say it's also been a tailwind for any sort of forward-thinking vendor in the supply chain space. Dan, we want to thank you for kicking off Drilling Deep for 2022. You're, you're our first guest of the year. Uh, that's great. That's great. Thank you, John, for having me. I enjoyed the conversation uh, and have a great rest of your day. Uh, we've been talking here with Dan Johnson. He, he's the CEO of Workstep, a company that uses software to help industrial companies to hire and retain their workers. You've been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.